Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, Yahtzee, uh, this, this week's Slightly Civil War was on a procedural generation, random generation as a gameplay idea, as a storytelling idea. Yes. And whether or not it's as good or even better than a fully scripted out game. Yes, there certainly are a lot of developers that go the direction of procedural generation, especially in the indie world. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is because it's actually quite a bit easier than having <laughs> to design the whole game. Yeah. I'm, I was talking about this in a Dev Diary video recently. That's the reason why it's popular with indies. It's because it's a lot easier, because all you need is the algorithm, and then you just pull the lever and it churns out as many levels as you want. I, in fact, have a released procedurally generated game available on steam called the consuming shadow what i made so this was a difficult one for me to argue <laughs> sure and you know what out of out of your games i did not play the consuming shadow and... it was a yeah some people really liked it i think the visuals turned a lot of people off oh sure sure you know it's there there has been i, I think beyond making it significantly easier there has been uh giant successes yes. with procedurally generated games procedurally generated indie games you know if you if you look at your spelunky your binding of isaacs well the important thing to remember about those big successes yes yeah, spelunky binding of isaacs and your minecraft as well hmm. is that they really take the roguelike stuff seriously oh yeah like everything's everything's randomly generated all the levels are random it, they usually start with like a basic core gameplay loop Mm-hmm. and randomize the levels randomize the effects of all the items you find and where more recent roguelikes that haven't been quite as successful have fallen short is they always trying to tinker too much always trying to script things too much did you play an indie game called chasm oh you know what that actually sounds very very familiar i'm gonna i'm gonna google it really quick here it was a procedural metroidvania game that was a bit castlevania simply the night so they were procedurally generating the levels but they still had to plot out the points in the graph like what order you pick up the pickups that make different areas available Ah. make different boss fights available what order to do the story beats what order to unlock all the areas so the end result was that i couldn't even tell that the levels were randomly generated then i replayed the game and i still couldn't tell Because it turned out all the rooms in between the major story notes were all just very generic, very generically laid out rooms. And I feel like that's the result. That is often the result of games that want to have the procedural thing, but don't want to like fully release control the way something like Binding of Isaac does. Absolutely. Like the the best procedurally generated games uh, give you, you know, a, a, a wide spectrum of runs. There are some runs in Isaac where you will get murdered yeah. very quickly. Yeah, there are some where you pick up like really OP powers really early on. Absolutely. And I think you need that gamut in order to make it engaging for an audience. That seems to be the case. Because if you like try to control the difficulty curve too hard, try to mm-hmm. control the uh, challenge curve too hard, then it just becomes bland. It, it really does. And, and I think 
I, I what what I think modern rogue likes or rogue uh, lights, whatever you're going to call them. What what they're trying to do is is temper the hard aspect mm. of the rogue like. That's that's a big complaint I think of amongst many players is these games are difficult. Can I talk about my own game some more? I I I really hope you do. Because when I was doing the Consuming Shadow, it did have like random like dungeons where you uh, fought monsters. Mm-hmm. And the monsters were on like a like a, a curve. They got harder the more progress you made. Mm-hmm. But the important part of that game was that it was also based around a logic puzzle. Like there were, you had to identify which of three evil demonic gods was trying to invade the world. Oh, okay. And each god was associated with a color and a symbol and an aspect like pain, fear, ag- like uh, anger, insanity, something like that. And um, so what you had to do was you had to explore dungeons and look for clues. And the clues would all be things along the lines of the red god is enemies with the yellow god. <laughs> or the, uh, the god that is associated with pain is not associated with the color purple. Oh. And by picking up these pieces of information, you'd randomly build up a matrix of information on all the gods. Mm-hmm. Once you had enough information, you could extrapolate which one was the invading one that you had to cast the banishment ritual on. Ah. And I like to think that was a pretty valid use of randomness in game design, because um, if it was the same combination of elements that each god had each time, mm. then you'd instantly know the answer to the puzzle. Right. But because it was randomized each time, the game uh, actually had a game to it. And what is, what is just because I haven't played it, what was the, the core loop of Consuming Shadow? Well, it's hard to say, because it had like a two-phase thing. You'd have the dungeons where you just walked around and uh, shot enemies as they appeared okay and uh, the other side of the game was like uh, sort of traveling around the map moving from position to position and you'd uh, run into random encounters where you'd have to make a choice sort of ftl style nice so it, it's hard to say what the core loop was on that i guess the it wasn't one of those games that has a core primary loop like second to second thing mm-hmm. the main loop was the broader loop of uh, collecting clues to be in a position where you could make a decision I guess basically what I'm saying is I should really play this game. This sounds like something I would very much enjoy. <laughs> well, please do. <laughs> is it available right now on itch.io? Yes. Yes, it's on Steam, actually. Oh, it's on Steam even. Yes, you can oh. get it. You can pay money for it. I can... <laughs> I have the opportunity to pay money for your game? You certainly do. Wow, that's amazing. As I say, it kind of turns people off visually because I was... Because, you know, it was a solo project. Mm-hmm. I was... Uh, wasn't quite as good at graphics as I am now. <laughs> Hold on. I'm just, I'm, I'm opening up. There it is. The Consuming Shadow. All right. I now have it open in a tab, which means I will look at it once we are done recording. All right. Well, let me know what you think. I, <laughs> oh, I'll do a whole thing on it. It'll be great. I'll make a show about it. <laughs> I, mean, I made you uh, play all those Dev Diary games. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay. So uh, procedural generation. Yes, to get back to that. To get back to that, procedural generation in general is something I very much enjoy in games. Not and not just video games. Uh, you know, I play uh, tabletop games. Uh, I do improv uh, theater here in Milwaukee, and the idea of not having any clue where it's going to go is very exciting to me. Hmm. See, that's interesting. You said exciting because for me. 
roguelike procedural games, they're my veg out games. Mm-hmm. They are my veg out times. If I want to listen to a podcast or I want to watch something on TV and I'm feeling fidgety and I want to do something with my hands, something like The Binding of Isaac or Spelunky or FTL is something I'd pull up just to have something to do with my hands. Because mm. it's just a constant uh, sequence of things to do that aren't <laughs> quite as predictable. Well, and you know, it can be, but... I feel like you can't excel at those games, or at least I can't excel at those games unless they have my full attention. Like if I if I'm going through Spelunky, I need to be constantly focused on Spelunky, nothing but Spelunky, and that's how I do my best at it. Yeah, I guess that this is where we differ again, sir. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely that's where we differ again and i suppose if this comes down to like playing games for different reasons again because mm-hmm. as we've established i like storytelling in games right and knowing that there's no fixed story behind something or that there's a story that doesn't really mean anything there's just an excuse for going through random dungeons mm-hmm. that makes it less engaging for me i need to have something to listen to on the side <laughs> well and i suppose even even story-wise, you know, thinking about my my time doing tabletop role-playing games and, you know, something as simple as a dice roll changing the entire trajectory of a game because, you know, someone failed an insight check or a, a perception check or a strength check, you know, like so- something dumb, like someone wanted to climb up some rocks and they fail the strength check, Hmm. and that changes the entire direction that game was heading, where they thought they were going to climb a thing, but they ended up falling down a thing. And the the excitement of creation is, I think, part of of my own excitement. That would be more interesting if more procedural video games actually did that. Mm -hmm. I mean, to go back to Isaac again, that sort of does that in that it's got such a basic, simple core gameplay, four-directional shooting that after a couple of upgrades you can have like a vastly different style of play one game to the next Mm -hmm. maybe you'll pick up the knife maybe like you'll pick up a thing that turns your tears into a shotgun style thing Mm -hmm. so that's the sort of thing you're talking about where like this a little random change just completely changes the experience right but that's so often not the case with procedural generation well, I think I think that's what separates that's what separates the the good games from the great games, right? Like FTL, you get a you find a flak cannon in the first uh, in the first galaxy. That's that's a game changer. Mm. You know, you you have a, a ship with a teleporter early on in the game. That's going to change how you play incredibly. Yeah, and so for for gameplay, the and. To be frank, I think that's why so many roguelikes kind of fail to hold the attention of the big three that we're talking about here. Mm. You know, I know so many have tried to take those titles. I remember I remember specifically when uh, there was a lot of hype around Enter the Gungeon mm. as kind of like the, the game that would dethrone the Binding of Isaac as the twin stick shooter roguelike. Yeah, didn't really do that, did it? Gosh, no. And, you know, it's a fine game. I mean, I'm not sure if that's. I mean, it's it's all right. I think it uh, it doesn't really do the the thing where gameplay can massively fundamentally change. I think whatever it's got a lot of variety to the guns, but very few of them get away from the basic principle of point at the thing and shoot at the thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's no there's no wildly different gameplay strategy that emerges due to the dice rolls, and 
you know, very similarly, I know there's there's a big conversation about rogue-like versus rogue-lite. Yeah, I mean, if you want to if you want to be strict about it, if you want to be a pedantic bastard, uh huh. Very few of the things called roguelikes uh, are, are much like rogue. Well, you know the the best definition, the best differentiator I've heard between rogue-like and rogue-lite are whether or not anything carries over from game to game. Mm. So, for example, Binding of Isaac would be a rogue-like, whereas something like uh, Rogue Legacy is a rogue-lite because there are stats that you can build up. Yes. There are some things that carry over from game to game in Isaac, though. Like, you unlock more items that get added to the random pool. Sure, but there's no, like, permanent stat upgrades. Right, so what you're saying is, like, um, the start point of the game is always the same. Yes. In in Isaac, of each playthrough. Yeah, and, and your rogue lights, you know, like Rogue Legacy, kind of being one of the, the early versions of that, where you can upgrade your stats in between games, I've always found to be less compelling, because then you can grind. You can just grind early levels to boost your base stats, and that's something I've never much cared for. Hmm. Mostly because there's there's less... There's less emergent gameplay. Still, there is a sacrifice one makes when one ditches scripting for the procedural generation. And I think any kind of scripting tells a story in some kind of way, a story created by a person. Even if, even something like Super Mario Brothers tells a story with its environment. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's not a particularly interesting story, <laughs> but things develop, you see new environments. And I guess you can't really speedrun a procedural game which not everyone necessarily wants to do, but there's something to be said for an experience that's the same each time. It becomes a comfort to one's head. <laughs> Just knowing that, you know, count three seconds, jump the Goomba, count three seconds, jump the pipe. It's comfort and it's a, it's a more communal experience. There's a reason why pretty much every good procedural game has an option to type in a specific random seed. Ooh, sure, sure. Because that means that more than one person can play the exact same layout and it becomes a communal experience again. Mm. That's another, I guess that's another thing. The procedural thing sacrifices the communal spirit. Uh, yeah, and, and again, you know, you and I are, are different gamers. We agree on a lot of things, but we're different gamers in general. And even thinking about games that are scripted, you know, games that, that have no generation whatsoever, I am still the type of gamer who loves to fart around. You know, like hang out in a level as long as I possibly can to really poke at all the walls, all the barriers. Hmm. And perhaps that's why procedural generation scratches that itch for me is there's no walls and barriers. I can just keep poking indefinitely. <laughs> well, if we all like a nice poke. <laughs> it's funny that procedural generation often goes hand in hand with uh, high difficulty. Mm-hmm. I suppose that comes of uh, wanting to emphasize the having to restart and start from <laughs> scratch all the time thing. Yeah. Because I've played games that didn't that were, did the roguelike thing but didn't really do the high difficulty thing. So I just play through the first three worlds of a game that's intended to be like restarted over and over again. Mm-hmm. But I'd like, my first playthrough was going on so long, I just eventually went, well, actually... I've I've realized I'm bored now. I'm (laughs) bored of this game, even before my first death. So perhaps, as you say, uh, the benefit of the procedural thing is the constant excitement of starting anew. Speaking as a creative, starting anew is always a very exciting thing. (laughs) The sheer depths of potential that unfold before you. 
Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a part of the appeal. I'm just thinking aloud here. No, you keep keep going. I, I it's it's tough. There there is such a there is such a delicate balance between you know like natural progression, a difficult game, and allowing the players to discover different play styles. I think you know t- talking about I we we're bringing up the Binding of Isaac a lot because it is one of it's the original. <laughs> it is the original like of the current trend of indie roguelikes. Was that first or was Spelunky first? I think Spelunky was first, but Isaac sort of like took the crown. Sure, sure. Well, and, and you know, Spelunky, I, I think, can be viewed in a very similar light. But but with Isaac, you know, it's very difficult, but they give you their their progression is almost in like starting difficult and then adding more after you quote unquote win the game right mm, you know first you yeah. discover the basement then you discover mom's womb and then you get to heaven or hell and then you get to the next thing and then you know you can unlock and it gets bigger and bigger the more you play and you know like comparing and contrasting that with something like um dead cells mm. which is a a a very fun action roguelike where you don't have that same sense of progression. And I actually stopped playing it before I got too far into it because I felt defeated. I didn't have those progress markers. Yeah, I know what you mean. I think once you're, the longer you play a session of Dead Cells, you start to feel sort of, I don't know, sort of untethered. You feel like the more you play, the more you feel like your inevitable failure has got to come any moment now. (laughs) Yeah, you feel downtrodden. Yeah. In Dead Cells. Where- I feel like it's only going to keep getting harder. And I've only gotten this far from, like, sheer fluke. <laughs> which, which can be a little uh, demoralizing, I suppose. You know, in in Spelunky, to go back to OG roguelike, is, you know, you, you had the opportunity to, say, like, unlock fast travel mm. to later levels. And even that, even if you didn't go to the later levels, even just unlocking that fast travel felt like an accomplishment did you ever play strafe yes the first person shooter roguelike yeah that had a similar sort of thing where you could um do a number of rather esoteric things to unlock a teleporter to level two Mm -hmm. like from the beginning the problem with that was level two would usually have a difficulty tailored to someone who'd spent the entire last world gathering slightly better weapons (laughs) so you'd go to level two with starting weapons and get instantly mashed into the floor 100 percent yeah you know speaking of strafe there i i have yet to find a suitable first person roguelike i was just trying to think there was some there was another first person roguelike that sort of blew strafe out of the water i'm trying to remember what it was oh right go go to hold on let me go to my steam library i'm going to, yeah i'm going to steam i'm searching for first person roguelike there was uh the one recently void bastards that, oh, that I think that might have been it, or not. I've been I've been playing that quite a bit lately, and you know it's it's a it's a perfectly fine game. I haven't played it in a few patches. I think the last time I played it, it was still pretty pretty new. But uh, again, it didn't. I didn't feel that sense of progression. And I want to say that they it's a rogue light where you can like upgrade in between missions, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and then there's like uh, there's City of Brass which is an old one. Uh, there's Ziggurut, if you've ever played that one, where you are, are a magician, and it's a first-person roguelike. 
Um, that one's kind of fun. That one's, you know, you get different spells. Oh, yeah. I think I've played that. I'm trying to... I wish Steam had a more intuitive way to search for more than one tag. There's something redneck, right? What, oh, what is that oh, called? Immor- immortal redneck. Immortal redneck. That's one. This is all memory. I'm, I'm going off of full memory here and I'm shocked at myself. There's one I think is in early access called uh, Nightmare Reaper. Nightmare Reaper. First of all, that's a great name. Yeah, I quite enjoy that one. It's very um, sort of retro styled. Even more so than usual for first-person roguelikes. Nightmare Reaper. Ooh, oh, ew, that looks ugly. Yeah. <laughs> They're going hard on retro, I'll tell you what. Yeah, it plays all right. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I'll add it to my wish list. Boom. Nightmare Reaper. I suppose, yeah, and you know, I've, I've played a fair number of first-person roguelikes, and none of them have captured me like like the other ones did i think the one that came closest was ziggurat which was like the magician one because you could kind of build up your power as you go you know you get more magical power but i I think some of that might just be in a first person perspective you have less you have less options when it comes to your weapons right yeah because you can only if we like biting of isaac if you could only shoot forwards i suppose right whereas you know in isaac you can have things that affect the entire room and giant you know wallops of power whereas in a first person game you can only no matter what because of the gameplay mechanics you can only shoot what's in front of you (laughs) yeah it's pretty limited when you think about it i'm just looking at the list of first person roguelikes now there's something called barony that's at the top of the list that i don't think i've ever heard of oh is that uh, does that look like an old school dungeon crawler i might actually own that game I think it is. Yeah, it kind of looks like it's built in voxels by the look of it. Yes, uh, I've played Barony. Uh, it's it's fine. It's very difficult. They do that thing uh, where it's a 3D environment, but all of the characters are 2D. And I don't much care for that, actually. That's that's classic. <laughs> that's classic FPS, that is. <laughs> it sure is. It's not something I really care for. But I've played Barony, and it's all right. It's not It's not terrible. And it, again, uh, but uh, you know what? Even that one, when's the last time this one's been updated? It's been a while since I've played that. Well, let's get back to the point. Oh, shit. You're right. We have a whole podcast thing going here where we're just talking about random games. I think the point is that an FPS roguelike could say it can keep creating levels forever. Mm-hmm. But if you played that for like 10 hours, would it be more or as fulfilling as, say, playing through Duke Nukem 3D? Mm. I would argue not. I would also argue not, uh, specifically in a first-person shooter perspective. Because there's a reason why AAA studios that have all the resources and people working on them tend away from the roguelike model and actually construct stuff. Mm -hmm. Because they're trying to do something specific. They're trying to give you a crafted experience. And I, like, I get that. I get, I, I get... You know, before you mentioned kind of Super Mario Brothers as a crafted experience. And, you know, you get your different levels, you go underwater, there's highs, there's lows, there's difficulty, there's easy levels. And you you go, it takes you on a journey. And for me, if I'm looking at Super Mario Brothers, I would rather play Spelunky. Well, okay then. Because all of the same journey is there with more excitement. For me, it's, it's hard to say. As I say, I like to play a roguelike if I'm just vegging out, but sometimes <laughs> if I want, just want to veg out, I'll play something that I, 
I've played many times and know the full structure of. Mm. Although one time I tried uh, a ROM randomizer. Oh, uh, for what? Do you remember? I had a ROM of uh, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow on the Game Boy Advance. Mm -hmm. And I've played that game many times. I like it very much. Quite like the sequel as well. Bit too much DS touchscreen gimmicks for my taste. (laughs) But someone put out a ROM randomizer that randomly assigned where all the uh, pickups are, where what? abilities you get from each monster mm-hmm. so i try that out just to like make my next replay of the game to add an extra spice to it a bit of unexpected spice Ooh, yeah and what happened was when i was playing it i killed like a random enemy like a quarter of the way through the game and it dropped the clave solish which is the best weapon in the game <laughs> okay yeah kind of overpowered really because it's <laughs> Very high standard damage and holy damage as well, uh-huh. which is only effective against monsters that are weak to holy damage, but it's Dracula's castle. Everything's weak to holy damage. So I had like this end game weapon a quarter of the way through the game and the game all challenge just bottomed out instantly. And, and while I'm sure you had a little bit of fun at first, just, you know, ripping through everybody, that fun yeah. very quickly came to an end. Yeah. So ROM randomizers, I'm not sold on as much fun. <laughs> well, and... and- but uh, I guess to to me that's all part of it. That, that's something we talked about a little bit earlier, where sometimes you get a really great run in Isaac, and I know that's usually the randomizer event over at uh, Games Done Quick is is one of my favorites, just because it forces the players to really think on their feet, and they might they might get something like that, they might get something great, they might you know roll craps. You never know. They do speed runs of those. They do. They do ROM randomizer speed runs of uh. I want to say I've seen I've seen one for Link to the Past and I've seen one for uh, Metroid. Well, I guess I can see the appeal because uh, these people sort of base their entire lives around memorizing the perfect sequence of events. Mm-hmm. And that's something you just can't do when there's procedural stuff. So what happens if we take three players who know the game inside and out and turn the game upside down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems a bit gimmicky. Yeah, but it's still fun to watch. <laughs> I think people play like Dark Souls randomizers. What? They started up and there's just like fucking Nito Lord of the Dead replacing one of the standard enemies at the start. <laughs> See, and uh, like as a as a big fan of hip hop, as a fan of remix culture, there there is joy in that. There is joy in just people rolling the dice and seeing how you seeing how you go. I suppose. <laughs> but I wouldn't base a culture on it. And it's still slightly... Dis- the argument you made during the actual video, mm-hmm. I still found slightly disturbing how you were saying we could replace authors with machines. Well, obviously I was being a little hyperbolic. Well, I'd hope so. Because, you know, there is a lot of value in uh, people, artists, even in a world where death of the author is a thing. Yes, no, there's a ton of, and, and, you know, even if you, like, we, we've been talking about Binding of Isaac constantly here, without the story surrounding the Binding of Isaac, without, like, this dark narrative of an abusive mother, would the Binding of Isaac be as great a game as it is? I don't think so. Mm. And, you know, like, that is just pure, there, there's a, a human storytelling element within this random generation that, makes it all click yeah it's that's the like that's the points that the random stuff is like filling in the line between the points yeah i'm thinking uh, my conclusion in my episode of dev diary where i was talking about 
is randomness in game design good mm-hmm. was that randomness is perfectly fine if you just want to generate challenges to fill space between points but i think the conclusion was that if you can th- if you can think of any way to replace something random with something that depends on skill or knowledge or something that the player can affect in some way then the end result will usually be better hmm that's very possible i that that's my final devastating point well and i the the only thing i will say is uh during the argument like part of that whole like you know getting rid of the human element thing the the one part that i did truly mean was uh randomly generated things being able to remove any cliche and i think there is inherent humor in that and there is there is a different sort of storytelling like you know we've been seeing on the internet recently they they have that like randomly generated like ai generated memes yeah that that is quite interesting which is hilarious there there's the someone, someone made a, a randomly generated like text adventure dungeon yes ai dungeon yes i was playing around with that and it was quite spooky <laughs> how well it worked well and and i or or like when they say like oh i i fed uh, an entire season of seinfeld scripts into this artificial intelligence and asked it to write a new episode there is brilliance in there pure random brilliance i tell you a point you made in the video that quite intrigued me mm-hmm. was the concept of death of the author and how randomly generating art subtracts all intention from it which yes. allows the audience to draw their own conclusions the way they'd make up pictures in random patterns mm-hmm. that's a very intriguing way to approach art i think because mm. art all art even created art is created within the mind of the perceiver mm. i agree with that statement i think that would be a very introspective school of art <laughs> that you'd have to bring a lot of your own uh, interpretations to but no less valid well, and I, I know that's how I usually, that's how I do try to consume art in general. Like before I play a video game, I try to learn as little about the development of that game as possible. Same with uh, watching a movie or reading a book. This is a rather strange thing to admit to, but it brought me back to the first time I took LSD. Okay. Which was a quite enlightening experience. As someone who's done LSD, I agree. Yeah, because <laughs> while... I, I was uh, under its effects. Before uh, I, my uh, experience took a downturn, I had to sort of calm myself for playing Dark Souls for five hours. <laughs> I suddenly became obsessed with random patterns. Mm. I found myself like on my knees staring at the carpet. And then I'd like, um, I think I opened up Harvest Moon and Emulator and just took a random pattern of um, plowed squares. <laughs> and then I'd like put on like five different videos so I couldn't make out what any of the individual like words were. Yeah. And just so it was all just random noise in my ears. And I just stared at the random patterns until my eyes defocused. And for some reason suddenly it all made sense. And you just you let your brain and the drugs do its thing and you see an immense amount of beauty. It felt like I could see something between the lines. I could see <laughs> something between the patterns. That that's such a basic human experience. I know when when I did it with my friends, we we spent most of the time inside, you know, watching stuff and being goofy, and then we went outside and just looked at the stars for longer than we probably should have because it was pretty cold out. Yeah, 
And and you you th- all you you think back to those like you know proto humans looking at the stars and and finding patterns and the oh that one's a horse it's just stars but that one's a horse <laughs> <laughs> you know we we like patterns and we like finding connections in things that inherently don't have connections well there you go that's and <laughs> procedural games are good if you take acid first I think that was the conclusion we reached there. Also, be responsible with your drug use, for gosh sake. Yes, yes, don't don't take illegal drugs. Well... Wait, wait, is it a crime to use it or just a crime to sell it? Ooh, I wonder. I guess all I'm saying is have a plan, maybe have someone not taking them, just in case. <laughs> yeah, that's, that. yeah, have someone, have someone there to pull you back if you start pulling your eyeballs out. Exactly, just be smart about it. <laughs> That's our that's our public service announcement. Well, fittingly, this was quite a random podcast. <laughs> I I feel like it was slightly focused, and that's all that really matters. Well, as we established, it's good to have some focus in your randomness to connect the points in the graph. <laughs> I agree. We need some constraints. Well, that was it. That was uh, the show that comes after Slightly Civil War. Uh, if you uh, didn't listen to the show first or watch the show first, uh, you can head over to escapismagazine.com. This show was about whether or not procedural generation was uh, as good or better than scripted gameplay. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Jack Packard. And I was Yahtzee Croshaw. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.